everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Little Old Glassboro, New Jersey. You know it right here on BlacksitRadio.com, baby. What's happening? How y'all doing? Look a here, look a here, look a here. I ain't got time to sit and chit and chit chat and smile because we have an amazing guest today. We have a sister who has been an expat in Mexico for 27 years. Not only is she an expat in Mexico, she is an amazing scholar and author, and she publishes um, Imagine Mexico. And it's just so much that I want you guys to know about her. So I want to just go ahead and jump into this conversation. So you know the deal. Hang tight. Give me a second. I'll be right back with this. Patricia and Tally, baby. You cannot wait for this conversation. Hang tight. Don't y'all go nowhere. I'll be right back. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of Little Old Glassburg, New Jersey, right here on BlackCityRadio.com, baby. Hey everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, coming to remind you about our amazing Beat Cultural Relocation Tour. Yes, dates are available for 2024. You don't want to miss this amazing experience. Check out our YouTube channel. See the um, testimonies that people have given about this tour. It is life-changing. For more information, call 540-446-5107. Or you can reach me at charlotte at blackexpatsinpanama.net. I love you, I love you, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And here we are. I am here with the amazing Patricia and Tally. You know, um, I just see you doing so many things. And um, I love how you're always expressing and sharing information about the, um, the, the Black culture in Mexico, because a lot of people are looking for that. And I just wanted to learn more about you. And I know that my um, listeners want to learn too. So please, madam, introduce yourself. <laughs> Tell us a little about yourself. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm an old Blackfoot in that I came to Mexico on October 18th, 1997. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm a former advertising, commercial banker, advertising executive, ran an agency in Chicago, and decided to go back and do my doctorate work at University of Michigan in international business in emerging markets. So I initially came here just to do one year research project. Wow. I tell my students I'm a slow learner. So, <laughs> so 27 I, years later that is so interesting so of course you must be fluent in spanish by now i've never taken spanish lessons mm -hmm. i've learned by immersion mm -hmm. and because i came down with advanced degrees and affiliated with the universities my work with the university um professors mm -hmm taught me Spanish. Yes. And, and was it really difficult for you 
was that your experience just little by little? <laughs> well, when you when you go down to the when you gotta eat mm -hmm. and you go down to the super to the to the Mercado, because this is before we had grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And they're in uh kilos and you're in pounds. And they're in Spanish and oh, you're in right. English. That's right. You start learning real fast yes. about the vocabulary. And I still go to the meat market to this day, almost 30 years later, and the owner, still same owner. Wow. And, he, and he says, oh, my Esther Patty, what do you want? <laughs> and, I, you know, and I do my hands like this much. Because yeah. I've never learned the kilos. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's foreign to us. But also, you know, 27 years ago, there was no Google Translate. No, I brought the first laptop to town. Wow. No one had ever seen a laptop. Wow. And this was right at the age of changing technology, which is what uh, motivated me to, to make the transition. We were going from fax machines mm -hmm. to the this new thing called internet. Yes, yes. <laughs> In that when I went to, when I went to grad school, the computer was a building. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, so with this new technology of the internet. Yes, and affordable calculating machines. Wow. So, and, and you're right, because I, I remember, I remember, you know, just computers taking up whole rooms. Right. Like it was, it was called the computer room, mm -hmm. you know, um, just amazing how far we've come. And I think that, you know, I mean, we kind of hopping all over the place, but technology has really allowed us the opportunity to black it and to, um, and to be able to, I think part of it is that we've just never been able to see other people doing this. Not that Black people haven't Blacksited before or moved to other countries, but we just didn't have access to them yeah. in a way that we could see them, learn about their experience, yeah. you know, get to explore other countries through, you know, through their, uh, through their uh, experience in those places too. So it has just opened up a world for us. So you came in 97 to study. So that was mm -hmm. your reason. Mm -hmm. Actually booked to go to Acapulco. Okay. Um, I have a relationship with hurricanes. Oh. <laughs> and that year it was Hurricane Paulina. And the the flight actually got rerouted from Zawatane from Acapulco to Zawataneo, hmm. which is what which is one of the landing ports for black people coming into Mexico. What did you call it? Zuatanejo. Zuatanejo. Okay, everybody remembers the Shawshank D-I-H-U-T-A-N-E-D-I-H-U-A-T-A-N-E-J-O. Yes. See, those <laughs> words that are good in Spanish. We can't, we be trying to use phonics, you know what I mean? So go ahead. So you ended up there and that that's where the Black culture was. 
as it was, as it is in Acapulco, people do not realize that the two main landing points for Black Africans coming into Mexico were the ports of Acapulco, Zihuatanejo, and then Veracruz. Wow. People know about Veracruz, but Veracruz, they don't know about yeah, the other yeah. side. I yeah. never heard of the others, though. Uh -huh. I mean, I heard of Acu Acapulco, and I didn't know that that had a rich culture. That's got oh. a rich black culture? Yeah. Wow. I love, I love to go to Acapulco. All the brothers be saying, hey, Mama C. Hey. Ah. <laughs> love going to Acapulco. <laughs> Ooh. I don't want Guerrero, my state of Guerrero, has the largest black concentration in the entire country. Now, that's where you live now, right? And have been here all these years. So how close in proximity to that is Playa del Carmen or like Cancun? Other side of the country. Other side. Other side of the country. Playa del Carmen and Cancun are on the Atlantic side, Caribbean mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. uh, Guerrero, Oaxaca, we're on the Pacific side. Okay. Totally other side of the country. So how, so you, so you ended up there and you just loved it? Well, did you no, love it right okay. away or? No, I came down to do one year of research for my doctorate in economic development in emerging mm -hmm. markets. Okay. Out of University of Michigan. One year. Yes. What I, uh, my theme was have MBA laptop. We'll consult for free. Uh -huh. I, I volunteered my services around the community. Wow. My goal was to go back to Michigan and teach international business. Well, in that one year, I realized that I didn't, I hadn't learned sufficiently to go back to be a professor. Okay. And I went back uh, and talked to my academic advisor the great C.K. Prahalad, he's a global strategist out of India. Mm. And he was my mentor. And he said, Patricia, I challenge you to stay five years. Wow. Go down. Wow. He said, nobody else will have had that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Go down, start a business. You have had a business background. I had been an uh, entrepreneur for some 20 years at that time. Mm. He said, go do it. So... Is that when you started the restaurant? Yeah, my I came down and a little girl that was in my condo complex would swim with me every afternoon. And one day I made her some fried chicken. And fried chicken is not something that is part of the Mexican yeah, cuisine. Cuisine. Well, all that led to when she had her five-year uh, birthday party, her asking her mother, would you ask Senora Patty to make fried chicken for my birthday party? Made fried chicken for the birthday party. Then all the mamas wanted me to make fried chicken <laughs> for their stuff. My father was a uh, leader in the, in the fast food industry. He was vice president of operations for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wow. So I called daddy and asked him to come help me open up a restaurant. And we had a fried chicken restaurant in Ixtapazawataneo. Uh, this was back again, many years ago. This was like 
Earl about 2000, 2001, somewhere around in there. Wow. You know, I mean, that right there, there are things that you cannot do in Panama as far as business if you are just a resident. And I want to talk to you about being a dual citizen. But that right there with the, the story that you just told is is it, it's like an example that I give about, um, you know, those paper blinds that we put up to our windows when you first move into the house, you go get them from mm -hmm. Home Depot for $5 or whatever. When we bought this house, uh, we bought this house in 2012 and I put those paper blinds and you know, if you clip them, they can make the nice little round part at the bottom. Man, neighbors was knocking on my door asking me where I got them blinds. <laughs> Were they really expensive? Oh my gosh, they're so beautiful. And it, it dawned on me at that moment, there are so many opportunities when you are in a new place. And for you, and, and, and people need to be mindful of that, you know, um, fulfilling a need. Nobody is, to us in the United States, you know, I mean, fried chicken, we love us some fried chicken, but, you know, there is a joint on every corner selling it. But for you to be in a new space and introduce that, then you're cornered the market. Fried chicken, hamburgers, apple pies, sweet wow. potato pies. Okay. So, and you're talking about immersing and learning the, the language. Mm -hmm. I've learned the two ways to integrate into this community. I cook cooking for people uh -huh. and okay. between those two things, cooking for people and what else Patricia and teaching and teaching uh-huh between those two things I've interacted with so many people and people still 30 years later will come up to me and call me chick because that was the name of the restaurant wow <laughs> and, and ask awesome. are you are you cooking anytime soon? <laughs> so are there more like soul food restaurants in that area now? Well, it's what you call soul food. Pulled pork comes from Africans coming off the boats. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamaica water comes from Africans. Uh, watermelon comes from Africa. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are many, the cuisine, uh, especially on this side of the country, is greatly influenced by the African presence here. Wow. So we might not be making things exactly like they do in the United States. However, I learned how to make cornbread from Mexicans. Really? Did you put, what, did you put some corn in it or, and jalapenos? Or? Well, well, because I, we don't have uh, corn uh, meal. So Quaker doesn't sell cornmeal here. Uh-huh. Which is another opportunity for business. But anyway, mm -hmm, right? Do they get the the kernels of corn, mm -hmm. grind them, and then make the make cornbread? And so still to this day, one of my academic colleagues came in uh this past weekend. The president of Mexico Negro Association Civil, they're the largest civil rights organization in the country. Wow. And she walks in to come see me to talk to me about some plans with a bag of ground cornmeal. <laughs> okay. 
I said, I, I know what that means. She uh -huh. said, yeah, I'm gonna sit you on some cornbread and think, and think, but can you make us some cornbread? <laughs> so when you say the ground, the they ground up the the corn, corn. Is it do they cook it first or do you, I mean do you yeah. cook it first or just fresh? I, I treat it just like cornmeal. Once it's ground, I use the same recipe that I would do at home using that ground corn. Wow. Cornmeal. Wow, that is thing. cool. It's the same thing. It's a different uh uh bean species of corn. Yeah. And the texture is probably different, right? Mm -hmm. texture is wow, that yeah. is awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Tell me about, um, let's touch on your dual citizenship for mm -hmm. a second. So when you came in in 97 and you were challenged to do in another five years um, and you did, and apparently that went well because you're still there um, 27 years later, when did you decide to become a dual citizen and what was that process like and how has it changed now? Well, uh, that's another story as well, because after the restaurant, I went back to the United States, formed a venture capital group of black investors and came down here and we bought a hotel and three restaurants mm -hmm. okay. uh, from an American person. Okay. You had to have your residency and you had to be filed with the tax authorities. You had to have your residency in Mexico and you had to be like registered. Registered. Uh -huh. so I operated that unknowing that the American woman that was selling the property to me had financial problems, health problems. Uh, make a long story short, she we had 17 gunman. armed gunmen show up at the door one morning and kick us off of the property that we had not had full title yet to because we were in the process of this land contract. So they kicked us off of the property and we ended up living in the, in the village. Now, I'm relating that to the citizenship because the corporation in which we operated that hotel mm -hmm. sponsored our residency and our work visa. When we lost the hotel, we also lost our, our working visa. Oh, wow. so, so I had to go down to immigration, sit up and talk to them about what to do. We had been there. When I say we, I came down here by myself first. And three years later, I met a man and came down here with me and we ended up getting married. Oh. <laughs> so the only thing we could do is get deported. And I caution people coming down to do business because you could, can get in situations if you are not legally registered where you will get deported. Yeah. And so we had to get, at that time, you had to have almost 10 years of residency to be able to apply for citizenship. citizenship. So by us having to leave the country and come back meant we had to start that whole process. Oh. Over we lost seven years 
out of the 10 years. Oh. So we had to start the whole process over again for citizenship. Now it is easier than back then. Now it's five years and six months after you've had your permanent residency. Okay. okay. Because you can te get temporary residency that says you can stay for two years. Right. Permanent residency to show that you are fi uh, financially sound, that you won't be a burden on the economy. You have to have it for five years, six months. And then you can apply for Mexican citizenship. And when you apply, so you can apply pretty much after being a permanent resident for five and a half years. So that means basically seven and a half years with the with the provisional part, two years in the front. Then you get your permanent, and then it's five and a half years. I think it's I think it's that way too um, in in Panama. You know, a lot of people don't really go for the citizenship. Right. But um, so. When it has its advantages if you are, are teaching work. I've been I've always worked. Yes. OK, I've always had businesses here. Yes. So for me, that took away all of that foreign reporting and, and yes. all of that crap. Okay. And opened up the door for me to do just virtually anything I want to do because I'm a citizen. Right. So do, now in, in Mexico, do they have restricted occupations? Yes, they do. And so you as a as a citizen, you are eligible, right, to do anything that a natural born Mexican can do. Correct. OK. And you do have restricted occupations, restricted, uh, you know, like uh, especially in the tourism area. Yes. Lots of or if you are a Mexican company, you can only employ uh, ten percent of your workforce with foreigners. Yes, it's the same in it's the same mm -hmm. in Panama. So there are some restrictions, mm -hmm. but I'm not restricted right. in terms of what activities I would want to do. Right now, let me ask you this. Is it still like say if somebody is there in um, in Mexico and they have their um, permanent residence, okay, and they're they have three years and then they end up having to go back to the states for some reason. When they go back to the states, do they lose that time or is it a matter of if you go back to the states for a certain if you're gone out of the country for a certain amount of time? Is that when it that when you would you lose your like seniority? I don't think so, but I always tell everyone to check with their local yeah. mm -hmm. local immigration. Yes, I know I had to leave for a while, and I went into the immigration and with my accountant, and we just put everything suspended, everything for uh -huh. it was a year, mm -hmm. okay? saying that coming back, but just yes. suspending things. Yes. It's been nice because I haven't had to deal with all this stuff for so long now. Yes. <laughs> that uh, And that's another thing that I caution expats is getting those things set up. The first time I set up my Mexican corporation, I had an American lawyer here in Mexico do it for me. He charged mm -hmm. me 10,000 US dollars. 
The second time I set up my Mexican corporation went straight to the Mexican notary. I had it done for the equivalent of $1,500. Oh, wow. Okay. So a lot so of having to, to do with notary. my knowledge. You went, to notary, you went to a notary and they set it up or did you do the paperwork and they notarized it? No, notaries here in Mexico are the only official attorneys. Oh. All right. So any type of property transaction or business transaction must be done in front of a notary. Right. Now we have, quote, a, attorneys or real estate representatives that will give you legal advice. Mm -hmm. But to, to sell that, to do anything, you have to do it uh, in front of the notary. And which brings up something else. Okay. Because as I've gotten older, my husband died seven years ago. Hmm. So I tell people, I have been single, married, widowed on both sides of the border. Okay. Okay. When we set up all these corporations with my husband and I, myself never thinking about what's going to happen when one of us dies so the our properties our businesses our car everything we had in the entire world was in the name of the businesses and then he died so i had to go through three years of working with the notary transferring Property, I literally had to sell my, my property, the business, sell the property to me personally. Wow. So what would you, so what would you have done differently? Would you have had, did you not have a will? It, it didn't really matter with the will. Okay. You still had to change the title of the property. And the point is, what kind of taxes, wow. inheritance taxes, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So what I would do differently is thinking, I tell people now, fast forward. Fast forward to you're 73 years old and think backwards. Mm -hmm. Who would you want to leave your properties to? I have real estate properties and intellectual properties. How would you want things set up? You know, yes. Fast forward and think backwards. Mm -hmm. Because I'm one of the few uh, widows who ended up having to go through these business process processes. Wow. Fortunately, wow. I was a citizen. In fact, that, that's what generated me becoming a citizen. That's what really pushed it. Because I was saying, oh, I don't really need to be a citizen. I'm a permanent resident, blah, blah, blah. But when I sat down and talked to the notary and the attorneys and stuff, the easiest way for me to get all this property transferred, <laughs> everything yes. set up, was Patricia, get your citizenship, and then boom. Wow. Much wow. easier. That was almost three years process. That's what I was gonna say. So it was 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 it three the the process to get the citizenship a three year process or just to clear all of that up? Yeah. Two. It was two years getting the citizenship because only me. 
I go to get my citizenship. At that time, if you were over 60, you did not have to take the language exam or the history exam. Okay. If you're over 60. I go up to the counter to, to fill out my papers. On the television screen is Donald Trump talking about how Mexicans don't send us uh, good people. They send us all of their... As I'm at the at the counter. Side eye you. The clerk says, you're from, you know, Estados Unidos. Si. Un momentito. Went back to the back, came back, and they decided on the spot that I had to take the language test. Wow. And I'm saying, but I didn't study for it. Okay. I didn't, wow. I didn't I, oh, you're going to have to take, if you, Estados Unidos, language. Uh -huh. You're going to take the language. You're going to do what we tell you to do. In other words, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, that's another good point and something that I make videos about all the time. Don't sit and think that you're going to do something later because things can change at the drop of a dime. And when we used to have a um, friendly nations visa here in um, in Panama, and apparently... You know, it was like half $5,000 in the bank and, you know, you pretty much, you know, good to go. I mean, you could open an account with 5000 something like that. Very simple. They decided, I think it was August of 2021, that that was over. In order for you to be get a, a visa, a friendly nations visa here in Panama, you had to buy a house for $200,000. That's a whole you that had to buy That's a house. A you could come to a corporation, like you could establish a corporation as ways to go about, but things change. And 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 like you said, at the drop of a dime, they made that decision. They made that decision. Now, what was cute about it, uh, once again, I, I'm affiliated with our uh, Universidad Autonoma de Guerrero, our tourism university. Mm -hmm. And one of the professors there, Dr. Donna Jimenez Taylor, is the president and founder of Mexico Negro, the Civil Rights Association. Mm -hmm. We did a research project together, and I went down to the Costa Chica, which is the black blackest area in Mexico. Costa during, Chica? Costa Chica. Okay. During the Day of the Dead activities, mm -hmm. that's, which is right around this time, and we did a research project. So I studied, I had studied that with her. I get to the counter for the language test and it's a multiple uh, choice question about the day of the dead. I said, oh, I got this. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> and a short essay, I wrote it all out, you know, would you like to know any more? All in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Lady says, 100%. She says, you must be a professor. I, I happen to know this subject. Yes. <laughs> so I, I got the paperwork, but it was during an election year. And during election years, offices changed. It took me two years to finally get the piece of paper that said I was a citizen. 
Wow. Took me two years. So with your elections, how does that work? Do your presidents, uh, are they eligible to be reelected? And what is the length of uh, their terms? I think it's six years. Yeah, they. I'm just now, I'm eligible to vote. I am an uninformed voter. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm studying right now okay. is to, to be an informed voter. Uh, as I am in the United States, I have two nationalities. I can yes. vote. I vote in two places. I have two homes. Wow. Uh, so that, and it was so interesting to me because while we have voter suppression in the United States, mm-hmm. when I went to go vote, I did vote for our mayor election. And I showed up at the voting place, and so the whole community is out. Do you know that they clapped for me? They oh, made me cry. They oh. made me cry. They said, oh, my Astro Patty, we're so proud of you. It is Mexicana. It is Mexicana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my came up to me and hugged me. He said, you are going to vote for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. Let me tell you something. They take voting very seriously here yes. too. And even on election day, when there's an election, they do not sell alcohol. Same here. They no do alcohol. not sell, they, they want you to be clear-minded and I guess don't go up in there getting into no brawls or nothing like that. But that's interesting, you know, just the difference in the just the difference in the systems. And then, like you said, now, somebody had said in Mexico, when a new president comes in, does the currency change? Is that true? Not necessarily. No. But we have had some currency changes recently. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing about getting Mexican citizenship, in fact, I was supposed to go to the bank today, is that I get a pension from Mexico not related in any way to working. Wow. I didn't, I've always worked and had and had businesses, but I never had social security in Mexico deducted because I knew I was going to get it in the United States. Yeah. So I never, so this is not work related. Every person, every Mexican citizen over the age of 60 will get a pension every two months. Really? How do they de- how do they determine how much you get? Does the, is it, Every, is it across the, the board? The across the board. What is it? It it's equivalent to six months of my expenses here. Wow. Yes. Now there you go, girl. I love it. Hey, I'm an old person. <laughs> Go up to the bank, see all my old friends. <laughs> Patricia. So, okay, that I mean that was a nugget right there. You know, that that's that's an incentive. So tell me this. What is the black expat community like in Guerrero? Guerrero? Guerrero. Guerrero. And how how are you how are you treated in Mexico as a black expat? And has that changed from the 27 years ago when you first went there? Well, first of all, Guerrero is named after the first black president, Vicente Guerrero of Mexico. 
who under his administration ab abolished slavery. Wow. Okay. So the state is named in his honor. People always ask me about the Black expat community, and I'm not familiar with the Black expat community. I'm familiar with the Black community. Yes. Okay. Uh, everybody that's around me is my color or darker. They're, wow. they're Mexican. Yes. They're Mexican. Yes. Mm -hmm. Black Mexicans. Black Mexicans. The majority of um, tourism, the Black tourism, at least that I see, are, are going more toward Cancun. They're going uh -huh. the other way. And Cancun, that's the Caribbean side, right? Caribbean. Caribbean side. Okay. Uh, Alcapulco is trying to have a come back. Acapulco used to be the party center. I remember uh, hearing about it. Oh, Acapulco used to be big time party center. And then uh, the cartel and trafficking and stuff like that came in. And so it's, it's trying to revive itself. My challenge that I have right now is that uh, under the Trump administration, the state of Guerrero was put on the alert for um, high risk, which meant that we lost all of our sister, our sister city programs, our student exchange programs, uh, things that we had worked on for 15 years, uh -huh. all went away because the students- Because Mexico wouldn't build the wall. <laughs> Yeah. And pay for it. <laughs> so um, the community, the Black expat community is growing more in Oaxaca. Oaxaca is right next door. Mm -hmm. okay. The Costa Chica region or the southern part of Guerrero, the southern, southern part of Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. And that's the landing points for, for Af Africans. And so most of the expat community is, is congregating in Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. Again, not having the restrictions of the uh, uh, stage four alert here in Granado. In fact, See, I'm going to do a student program and I told them we're going to have to fly down to Oaxaca. I can't bring you into Granado. And, and, and you know something? I think that I that's something I would not have thought of. When when a when a when a um an area is on a high alert, that it affects things like that. I I just did not, I didn't think of that. Wow. Think about jobs lost. Wow. Uh, the impact on economic impact on the community. In Do fact, you feel like it was justified at all? Do you yeah, think it was in a high-risk area? Well, as I tell everybody, I've been here 30 years and I don't hang out with the drug addicts, mm. okay? If you're not looking for trouble, you're not going to generally find it. And mm. I'm not saying that there hasn't been extortion and all those other things. They just opened up a center within walking distance where I am uh, of anti-extortion. Mm. So the government is trying to... Uh, to work on those kinds of things. Um, but then I sit up and tell people, remember in the United States, how many mass killings so far this year? 300 and something? Exactly. We should be on a four. Okay. Our kids, are not be, our kids are not being taught to get underneath the desk and hide from a killer. 
Yeah, you get that a lot. You get that. Is it safe there? Well, where, where is it really safe? And are you really asking me this? You live in the United States, you know, and um, when I'm in the U.S. now, um, I, I'm on guard. I am not yeah. relaxed. It is the 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 energy, the, um, you know, it's a fearful type thing. Like, you know, something could happen at any minute, you know, kind of thing. And I am just not relaxed. I, I wish my kids would relocate and live somewhere else that's safer. Our kids live in Texas and Florida, of all places. Ooh, of all places. Of all places. Our kids live in Texas and Florida. And, you know, I get it. They, they're they younger. They're both, um, they're raising, you know, families and, you know, their, their outlook perspective and situations different than ours. We're retirement age, um, you know, but I just want them to be safe and I want them to know the difference. I think living in the United States without having a break that, we have become accustomed to living in a dysfunctional, uh, dysfunctional, toxic Sorry. environment that we just don't even recognize that we're we're we don't recognize that it's not like that everywhere or that we're experiencing the, you know, the feelings. Well, to your point, Charlotte, people always ask me, why didn't you come back? Well, after the years started going by and as I shed myself of that USA perceptive yes I tell people once you have experienced a greater level of freedom why would you ever turn back to wow. less so that's why I never went back here I've I, I tell um this story many times I grew up in the 50s and when the first time I was called the n-word was uh we lived in a we integrated a neighborhood my family and there was a little Japanese girl came down the street their family had just come uh in, immigrated from Japan yes. after the war now my father served in the military okay the little girl came down the street and said oh I can't play with you you little dirty nigger okay because they were integrating into the American into the society. White, yes, yes. So I tell that story from, I was four years old. And those are and the And you never forgot that. Never forgot that because I had to come home and ask my mother what that was. I didn't know what that term and was. And called that by a foreigner. And called that by a foreigner. A foreigner. You yes. know, and, and all these years later, and I know it's been a while since you was four. <laughs> I'm 73. Oh, my goodness. All these years later, we're dealing with the same thing. You know, I do cultural relocation tours to Panama. Okay. And at the end of the day, one of the main reasons that I wanted to do a cultural relocation tour was because the media... And what people, what the media portrays about us and what people think they know about us as African-Americans, when they come here, they come with a level of disrespect from yes. the beginning. They yes. come disrespecting us and, and never having met us, you know? And, um, and so I feel like this. I bring Black people to Panama and introduce them to the relocation option. But baby, 
we spent a great deal of that time introducing them to the Black culture here, the Black culture, the contributions that the West Indians have made to that canal, you know, to the, the railroad, and, the, and how they have been able to preserve so much of their history, um, specifically in, in Cologne, in the, um, in the Cologne, in the Cologne province, they have a very strong Congo uh, background. And to this day, they are holding it up, you know, but when they come and they get that information, Patricia Ann, it actually grounds them here. Yeah. It is the thing that says, you know what? They can, we can relate to the story. We can understand that unless you ask to be told of the history, that's not the history everybody wants you to know about. You're not going to get that history, but there's something about expressing that and teaching people that, that has them come here with a level of respect for our locals. Our cultures are so intertwined. Yes. They're so intertwined. I always say it's just a matter of where the boat stopped. Yes. Hmm? yes. I've been in areas in Mexico where, uh, like Donahue took me to Cuajinequilapa, which is the largest Black town in Mexico. It's in the state of Guerrero. And when I walk through the town and everybody's looking at me and coming up to me, asking me, was I a member of this certain family? Mm, wow. And and I, so many people ask me, I asked somebody to take me to the family. Mm -hmm. They look just like me. I can, wow. see I can see why I have a picture of me and one of the little grandkids and you would think she was my grandchild. And, and for all we know, mm -hmm. for all we yes. know, it could be related. Yes. It could be related. The other commonality is in in, is in art and song and dance. Uh, mm -hmm. I always joke, Tony School of Dance, Detroit, Michigan, 1958. Because <laughs> I can get down with the dancers. And it's tap. It's tap. Wow. And the commonality is that it's like you see the uh, line dancing with the fraternities. Yes. Why is it the same here? Yes. It's because our men were chained by the ankle yeah. in the fields. Wow. And they had to step in unity. Stepping. It was the stepping. It's wow. Stepping. They had to step in unity. So we have the da uh, dance here called Danza de los Diablos, where they do the stepping the in unity. Devil. And I can get right up. They always come to me and grab me. Come on, Profa. I can get right up and dance with them. And they say, how do you know that? Wow. Tony School of Dance, Detroit, Michigan, 1958. Well, and you'd be surprised at what's in your DNA, too. It's the same thing. Yes. It's, we have so many um, uh, cultural overlaps. Yes. Likewise, our, our Mexican people don't know about us in the United States. Mm -hmm. How could they when right. it's in a different language? Wow. I've, I've taken the professors from our tourism university mm -hmm. to the United States because they had never been. I took the head of Mexico Negro to the Charles H. Wright, H. Wright Museum of African American History, and she got on her knees and cried wow. because she didn't know about slavery in the United wow. States and, and about apartheid and racial segregation. 
How would they? Exactly. And this is what they don't want. They don't want us to connect. They want us to think that we're not the same because we speak a different language or whatever. But the diaspora is amazing. And, and, And we don't have to go as far back to Africa to connect with our people. No, we don't. We don't. We don't have to do that. And and my tour guide, you know, I have a, my tour guide is Afro, he has a degree in Afro Panamanian um, uh, history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he often points out that, you know, we are so connected. And it's like, even if you go back, you get your DNA from whoever.com. And it says that, you know, a majority of your people came from Nigeria. And you go back to Nigeria, he said, you know, how many of those tribes and people are completely wiped out at this point? You know, are they even are they even still there? You don't have to go that far. You don't have to go that far back. So I'm glad that you do that. And I would love to. You know, at that group, well, that's how I found you in my group. I actually own that group, Black Expats in Mexico. And because I feel like Mexico is definitely a, a place for Black, uh, for people that want to be expatriates to consider. I did not expect it to grow and do the things that it has done, you know, mm-hmm. um, since I started it. And I am going to start making trips to to Mexico and the thing is, is that my focus is always on cultural awareness. So the Cancun, the Playa del Carmen, you know, like somebody, um, the sister, her name is Courtney, Courtney Bowden. You know, she has Black expat stories. And she she made a very good point. She said, you know what? Those regions are relatively new. Yeah, they In are. addition to that, she said, so, you know, so... I'm so happy. I'm always interested to see the things that you're doing. Let me shift gears because we're going to have to get ready to go. This has been an amazing conversation, but I want to talk to you about about your publication and the work that you're doing now. Well, uh, back in 2009, we had the H1N1 flu epidemic. Yes. And even though my area did not have one case of it, at the time I was running a vocational teaching service, I had five teachers and we had written eight bilingual training manuals for the hotel industry. And we were working on language development. Mm -hmm. And when that flu hit, all of the human resource budgets got cut. So literally the business went out of business. Wow. And then the hotels are reaching out to me to say, help us. We need help in marketing. (laughs) We got to pull these people back before we need to train the folks in English. We got to pull the folks back to get them there. Right. And that's when I came up with the concept of let's do some type of um, uh, publication. Mm -hmm. Supported by the hotel association to start publicizing and doing activity started off with the stop as a walk mail and that's been 14 years ago wow and it's it's grown to yes. be a national uh, publication I collaborate with the universities our local universities I've uh, invited uh, guest 
contributors. Mm -hmm. I used to commercialize it. I would make about the equivalent of about thirty or $40,000 off of advertising off the magazine. Each year. Okay. When my husband died and my whole mode went into getting property and doing all that other stuff, I cut out all the advertisement with the magazine. But we're beginning, we're getting ready to uh, revive it. In fact, I'm sitting working on a strategic plan right now. Awesome. Not with advertising, but we want to sell local products, Mexican-made products. Okay. Through, through the magazine to the international market. Wow. So I can connect with a lot of our Afro-Mexican um, uh, artists and craftsmen. Yes. Okay, to do some things that they would or ordinarily not have that reach, that market. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's that's what's up. That's that's a that's a wonderful thing. So okay, so that's the publication. And what is the name of the publication? Imagine it's up on the screen. Imagine, Imagine-Mexico.com. Yeah. We get about four million visitors a year. What? Uh, again, it's it's 14 years old. I do 10 new articles every month. Do the math. 10 articles every month, That's 12 a months a year, 14 yes. years. So a lot of it is, is is history and culture. Basically, it's my classroom. Okay. What I have learned, because yes. I learn it. <laughs> yes. My mother kept saying, you need, to, you need a journal. You need to write all these things down. Well, after so many years, you know, like the bookcase is just full of journals. Yes. And I, I started writing and um, I had a, a woman come to me who was a website designer to say, look, you just, I got to do something with you. Put the magazine up online. And so now it's a teaching tool. Yes. It's a teaching tool culture, tourism, activities, and now we're going to go into uh, product sales. Do you get the support from the government, you know, or like a lot of locals? A lot of locals. I, um, again, I consult with Fonatur, which is federal. I've mm -hmm. consulted with the state. Uh, they supply information. Yes. Uh, so all these resources that have had contacts that have been built up over some 30 years. Mm. Wow. Trying to, trying to put it, You're I deep guess, call it my, my, my classroom. Yes. <laughs> We've got over some 600 articles on the site and I can rotate, depending on what it is, I can rotate yeah. them some. And then I'm opening... Um, that's part of the research project that we're working on right now in terms of the product sales. I also want our university students to get the experience in writing because mm -hmm. they have to have English skills for tourism. Yes. yes. So I'm, I have offered the magazine, the platform up to our two universities and they're going to conduct classes, writing classes with the objective that those uh, articles will be published. That is amazing. Have you seen like a, an uptick in interest over the last few years? Yes, as the expat community has grown. Yes, okay. yes. 
as the expat community has grown so much yes. in, the, in the last few years. Uh, uh, somebody, one of the students was looking on the, on the site and Maestro Patty, we got some articles. There've been 200,000 hits on these articles. Wow. And then when we go back and look at the research that's come in the last few years and it's because of the growing expat expat ex, ex, definitely expat community so let me let me ask you this i didn't ask you about guerrero guerrero mm -hmm. <laughs> stop laughing okay. at me okay no no this is a test okay they quahi nikwilapa quahi nikwilapa Quahi Nikwi Lapa. Quahi Lapa. It took me three years to learn that. <laughs> well, I couldn't say it again but without saying it right right after you. But but tell me about where, where you live. Just briefly tell us what it's like. Is it like suburbs? Is it does it feel like certain parts of America we might be able to visualize? What do you what do you think? Uh people tell me that when they arrive, it kind of reminds them of Miami. We're right on the beach. Oh, wow. Right, beach community. I'm three blocks from the beach. We were a small fishing village. Mm. Uh, back in the 60s, Jack Cousteau, I re you might remember. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Jack Cousteau, uh-huh. He sailed his boat into the Zawataneo Bay. Oh. And that's what started the whole discovery Discovery by discovery, discovery of the We're a small, small fishing village, only about five thousand people. We've grown to about one hundred and thirty-five thousand permanent residents, and we grow to a half a million people during the international tourism season. That's from November to April. Wow! So yeah, so tourism is the main industry. We used to be. Uh, uh, agriculture, well, still are. We're one of the agricultural states. Mm -hmm. uh, highest producer of mangoes, avocados, those kinds of things. Uh, our, the challenge is that with the rise in tourism, our kids are getting educated in tourism, but they're going and just working jobs, mm. not business and economic development. Yes. So when the tourism goes down, mm -hmm. then the economy falls apart. Yes. Wow. That's why we are focusing on trying to get more entrepreneurial product development services, those kinds of things in place. I love it. So what is the nearest airport? What airport do you come to? Zawakaneo International. Zawakaneo. <laughs> Z-I-H. 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 Z-I-H is the airport. Z-I-H. And, and does that, do you have to normally have to connect with Mexico City to, to go there? Many times Mexico City. Um, United has a flight out that goes through um, Houston and then here to Ziwa. We call it Ziwa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Bit by bit, people are discovering. Yes, Black Mexico. Yes, in this 
part of, of, of Mexico. We don't have the number of hotels. We're smaller. Mm -hmm. smaller mm -hmm. area. So is it more boutique -ish, like the hotel lines are they more yeah. boutique -ish? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's not as easy for a large group to come in oh we can we can accommodate large groups we have a convention center oh in fact one of the meeting planners the largest meeting planner happens to be afro-mexican wow they have recording studio transportation what, you know, it, it's just so awesome to learn about different areas. It's like you go into Mexico, yeah, where are you going? Cancun, you know, Playa del Carmen. Um, what are some of the other ones that Cancun is like the most popular one? But I think I'm interested in going in places where I can tap into the Black culture. So I appreciate what you do. Um, I appreciate the information that you've shared here with us today. And just tell us about your mom real quick. Well, my mother was, um, my, as I told you, my dad was a, a VP with Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he was gone all the time. So my mother said she had to find something to do. So she started all of these nonprofit organizations. Yeah. She ran for, she was the first elected official of color for Southfield, Michigan. She's designated as the mother of Southfield, Michigan. Wow. And then she started the Dr. Martin Luther King Task Force. Mm -hmm. And the MLK Task Force is the one that has connected with uh, Mexico Negro. And we've done all these interchange programs through the two foundations. Yeah. Uh, so I was just back there because the city gave her this 500 person event where they named the, the, the street. street going up to City Hall in her honor. Isn't that something? Oh, that was just so great. I told them I had to leave them so I could come home and rest. I was telling you, I was like, we're in so many celebrations and dinner oh. and all that other stuff. I said, Mom, I got, I got to go home. I'm old. I got to go home and rest. But to, but to get your flowers... You know, while you're here, I mean, what an honor. And then, you yes. know, for your family and, and for her to be that legacy and for all the things that you have done. And then, you know, to, to be able to say, that's my mama's street, baby. Her name is Barbara, right? Barbara. Uh -huh. I, I just organized, uh, we got, I've worked with the Peace Foundation. So we have these peace poles put up here in Zimbabwe and in Southfield, Michigan. And I wrote the mayor and said, round two, because he's been with my mother all this time. I said, round two, now you got me. And here is what I need you to do for the International yeah. Day of Peace. Here's your speech. Here's the program. Yes. That is so that's awesome. the joke. That's the joke around, around town that, well, you know, got another generation. Let's do it. That's right. But, you know, it's, it's the truth, really. Mm -hmm. Um. So listen, tell us how we can find you, um, and then I'm going to let you go. Well, you can find me through the magazine's Facebook page, Imagine uh -huh. Mexico Magazine, my own Facebook page. I respond more off the magazine's Facebook page. Okay. I, I work behind the scenes. Okay. Generally, okay? I'm, you're not going to see me out front with photos and selfies and all that. I'm a, I'm a structural worker. Go on to the magazine's website, 
subscribe. Subscription is free and it will always be free. Wow. Always. Always be free because it's an educational tool. But you guys are getting ready to start taking advertisers again, right? Well, uh, we're going to start selling products. I have had so many people over the past couple of weeks contact me about advertising and product sales. And so I'm going to hand that off. I'm sitting up doing a, a thesis report <laughs> right now for the university. I'm getting ready to hand that off as a whole project yes. to them, have the university, the students get involved and do it. You are that, so busy. Well, it's passing it on to the next generation. Charlie. Yes. At 73 years old, and because I lost my husband, I've had that experience mm -hmm. that I must, I challenge everybody, mentor some young people. Yes. Take, take on someone. Yes. Start passing some of these things on. Uh, one of the young men who wants to be part of the group, he says, I don't have any money to invest. I said, you don't need money. You need talent. Mm. Okay. Yes. So invest in your talent. And here's a yes. whole list of things I want you to do. Mm -hmm. And after those are accomplished, you can be a partner. That's it. That's it. And that's and that is where, um, you know, meeting people where they are. You know, being able to tap into your talents and and actually do things that for, are fulfilling to you, you know, it's just going to be success. Then rather than just you know having a job or trying to fit in a trying to fit a square in a round hole, you know, or something like that. So that is awesome. Well, I thank you for your service and okay. I thank you for your time. And um, I feel very blessed to have had you on the show today. Take care. Thank you. Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> got you. Got you. There you have it. Another great interview. Oh, my goodness. I, I say this all the time, and I mean it in the most sincere way. We have some of the most amazing guests on our show, and I'm just completely humbled and so proud just to be able to spend some time with some of these um, folks who are just, you know, trailblazers. I just absolutely am thrilled to have Patricia Ann on the show. And I hope that you enjoyed meeting her. And I hope that you will follow her and support her publication and get to learn more about the Afro-Mexican history and culture. Um, just an amazing benefit. So, other than that, um, I'm going to leave you with a song that she likes just to see her by um, Smokey Robinson. She said she's seen him uh, recently and he turned it out. So I met Smokey recently and asked him if he wanted to come to Panama. He said, yeah, told me to connect with his um, agent. And so now that I heard some really, really current you know, information about his performance skills, because sometimes they just be legends, y'all, and they don't really, you know, have it anymore, but she said he was killing it. So I know that he looks great. He looks fantastic, and he's in his 80s, so I, I hope that you guys will enjoy that song. Um, whole lot going on. You know, stay posted with us, guys. 
follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at Black Expats in Panama. Go on over to that YouTube, check out the videos of interviews that I've done with people and see all the amazing things that we do here in the community. Um, Black Expats in Panama is so much more than a tour. It is about relationship building. It is about building communities abroad. And I'm just so very proud um, to, to be a part of Black Expats in Panama and to be able to um, meet these amazing uh, people that I'm meeting and share all of these experiences with you. So without further ado, listen, I want to thank Daryl Spears, my man Daryl Spears is at Elite Conversations Podcast Media. And also I want to thank Riley Jackson and Devin Austin and the crew, the people who created Blacksit Radio and gave us an opportunity to put our voices in the world forever. It's just so amazing to think that my grandchildren will be able to hear some of these things you know, as time goes by. And I wish that we had this technology when my mother was alive because I could, you know, see and touch her um, if that was the case. So with that said, this is your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of little old Glassboro, New Jersey, right here, baby, on BlackCityRadio.com. You know what it is. I love you. I love you. I love you. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Peace and love, y'all. See you soon.